So the seeds of what we saw this weekend in the divisional round of the NFL playoffs were actually sown many, many moons ago. Because the reality is the the Saturday outcomes were the product of what the San Francisco 49ers and Baltimore Ravens have been able to do over the majority of the season. Baltimore surged as the second half began. San Francisco, it took a while, but in the fourth quarter, it sure looked like they finally found their rhythm offensively. Now, it's amazing how if you take out George Kittle or Brock Purdy or the left tackle Trent Williams or the Swiss Army Knives of Debo Samuel or Christian McCaffrey, all of a sudden, one player missing, it's like the entire Jenga tower starts to tilt for the San Francisco 49ers. But what you left with Saturday was pretty definitive conclusion that the two teams that were the best during the regular season ultimately found their groove, and the two teams that lost had basically first-year starting quarterbacks, one legitimately in Houston, C.J. Stroud, the rookie who was fantastic for so much of this year and will be the offensive rookie of the year, and the other in Jordan Love, who was basically a rookie. It's his first full year of starting for the Green Bay Packers outside of spot duty here or there when Aaron Rodgers was dealing with whatever in his life was popping up at that particular time. Use your imagination uh, or just tune into a show where he'll blab on for an hour and not really give you much of anything. But here's the thing. Sunday's games were entirely different. And that's the most fascinating part of the weekend because the two teams that really I would say were the subject Sunday – Tampa Bay, with all due respect, this is Tampa minus Tom Brady. They're not as relevant as they were when Tom Brady was quarterback. I know I'm going down a real end with that one. And the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay, they've won two Super Bowls with Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and Travis Kelsey, as well as Chris Jones on defense. And a number of other parts have been a contributor to the first or the second. But we have a good idea of what they can do. Okay, they hadn't won a road game, but they've won two Super Bowls under this iteration. I have a feeling they can handle a road environment if they can handle all the hype around a Super Bowl, and they were fine with that. But here's the other part to this. The real storylines were the two fan bases in Detroit and Buffalo, both of whom were at home, both of whom have been clamoring for this opportunity to finally have a chance to etch their name in NFL lore. Look, as a guy who remembers what it was like to grow up as a Philadelphia Eagles fan and a Philadelphia sports fan for my youth, and that was the predominant sports city with whom I identified, I always think it's great when fans that have largely gotten tortured can experience some kind of thrill of victory. Okay, yeah, there's the whole exception to like New York because they're loud and obnoxious, or... Washington Commanders fans, because not all of them, but there's an iteration that always thought it was funny that Philadelphia, you know, had never won a Super Bowl. And now Philly's only won one. Washington, they've won three. But, I mean, you know, one franchise has been relevant this millennium and the other really is not. But here's the other part to this. What we saw this weekend is a product of what the coaches have done and how they've set themselves up to be perceived within their locker room and within their organization. Because... What you heard yesterday was the most obvious gut-wrenching moment for the Buffalo Bills right here on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app. Tyler Bass will try a 44-yard field goal to tie. The wind at his back. The snap is good. The ball put down. The kick is up. and No good. Wide right. Wide right. The Bills kicker missed. 
Chiefs sideline. 143 to go. Bass missing wide right from 44. That was what most people saw and will remember understandably so. God, it's almost like the Buffalo Bills are the Florida State Seminoles, except at least FSU with all their wide rights. They do have three national championships in school history to which they can you know, still look at as fond moments. But Buffalo, they have none. And everyone will remember that. And yes, it was unfortunate. But there's so many other things that were not said about this team and about this organization that put them in this spot. Part of its championship DNA. Everyone points to Sean McDermott. Some people think maybe I was too harsh in my InsaneRadioDeals.com fast take about this earlier today. Fast Lane, Ed Lane, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. But I thought as much as the missed field goal says a lot, and and obviously that'll be the play that people remember. Here's just as big of one, and that is something that encapsulated the game and what has been a concern for the Buffalo Bills with their leadership of Sean McDermott. Mahomes will be under center. He'll be at his own 42 at the second. Two, he gets the snap, spins, hands Pacheco over the right guard on the hash, digs and falls through the first down at the 45 of Kansas City. The Chiefs have gotten the first down, and Buffalo's going to take a timeout. That's their last one. This is amazing. Wow. A first down run by the hard-charging Pacheco. At the 45, they've got it. The Bills can't stop the clock. Correct. Chris Jones waving goodbye to the crowd. He's now dodging snowballs. The Chiefs have a first down at their 45, and the Bills cannot stop the clock with 1.30 to go. That's it. That was it, because all it took was a couple of kneel downs, and poof, the ball game was over. As you heard on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app from Westwood One, as we'll also have the divisional round or the conference championship games this coming Sunday starting at 2 p.m., uh, starting with Baltimore welcoming in Kansas City and then Detroit at San Francisco. But so much of it was set up before then. Because Sean McDermott's leadership style has been called into question. And for the record, I think the William & Mary product will be back with Buffalo. That's what the initial indication is. But the window feels like it's closed there. Because they missed an opportunity. This was their chance to get over the hump. They had Kansas City at home. This is not the same Chiefs explosive offense from a couple of years ago, which featured Tyreek Hill to go with a much more in his prime, not past his prime, Travis Kelsey. And yet, they still couldn't get it done. And I look back to one of those losses, of which there are many now in the playoffs, and that is the 13 seconds, the infamous 13 seconds. Because when that happened, Sean McDermott was asked about it afterwards. And I just continue to go back into my mind and think of what he said or did not say about those 13 seconds. Yeah, I don't want to really get into specifics, um, Adam and uh, with respect to your question, just overall, you know, there's there's things we talked about, and um, we can just execute better, and and that starts with me, and and uh, goes all the way down. So um, I don't want to get into specifics right now. I'm really proud of the guys and their effort. Um, you know, obviously they made a couple of plays down the stretch, uh, so I'll just I'll just leave it that right now. He didn't want to get into specifics. That was Sean McDermott after the 13 seconds, but a couple of years ago. But how it relates to what happened yesterday is that. Once again, there was never an explanation even after the fact. 
And that's supposed to be your job as the head coach. You're the chief of winning. That is your job. Number one is to administer the practices that will help a team win the football game. And Sean McDermott didn't do it then, and there was never accountability, not just after the loss, the infamous 13 seconds in Kansas City a couple of years ago, but going a step further from that divisional round mishap to the Kansas City Chiefs to what we saw yesterday, and that is the defense is supposed to be Sean McDermott's area of expertise. That defensive line never got penetration. They couldn't get after Patrick Mahomes at all. They couldn't slow him down. They couldn't get into the backfield. This was a Kansas City offense that averaged over eight yards a play. And the dictation and the flow of the game was a big part of it. And what you're able to do and set the tone within an organization through your own accountability if you're Sean McDermott, through when the moments are bad, to looking in the mirror, to, hey, you basically got rid of Leslie Frazier. He left because Sean McDermott wanted to take over play-calling duties on the defensive side of the ball. Are you hiring a play-caller or are you hiring a leader? Because some guys can juggle both pretty well. Sean McVay with the LA Rams, Kyle Shanahan at times with the San Francisco 49ers. But then there are others that understand the job is to be a CEO and to step back and let other people handle those particular duties and roles. And that your job is to be the chief of winning football games and what your objective really is. And that's where the contrast is so different. The Buffalo Bills, I mean, it's a tortured fan base. They've got this once-in-a-generation talented quarterback and Josh Allen who happens to be along at the same time as a couple of other once-in-a-generation talents. All right, quarterback, in your conference, Baltimore with Lamar Jackson, Buffalo obviously has to go head-to-head with, and they lost last year to him, Joe Burrow of the Cincinnati Bengals. And then, of course, everything's well-documented about the Chiefs' success. But Buffalo just has not gotten over that hump. And part of it is understanding what the role is. And contrast that with the Detroit Lions. Look, it's not the flashiest organization. Nobody on the Lions really is the type of player which goes, wow, tons of excitement. Jared Goff is a retread, former first pick overall at quarterback. One of two, by the way, in that game yesterday. Baker Mayfield, same thing with Tampa Bay. But Jared Goff is that way. Amonra St. Brown and Sam Laporta are the pass catchers. Good, but nothing super flashy about them. They have a lot of skills, and they're very good, but it's not Tyreek Hill when he was with Kansas City. There is no Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen to the offense. Aiden Hutchinson is fantastic defensively, but he just hasn't gotten the same recognition that others have. And maybe that changes over the next couple of games, and certainly it will if Detroit goes on to hoist the Lombardi Trophy. Have my doubts? We'll discuss that later this week in the fast lane. But to their ever-loving credit, you've got a coach. Everyone mocks this speech from Dan Campbell, a whole biting kneecap speech. But boy, does that team not play like it and embody what you want. All right, here's what I do know is that this team is going to take on the identity of this city, all right? And the city's been been down, and it found a way to get up, all right? It's found a way to uh, overcome adversity, all right? And so this team's going to be built on, uh, we're going to kick you in the teeth, all right? And, and when you punch us back, we're going to smile at you. And when you knock us down, we're going to get up. And on the way up, we're going to bite a kneecap off, all right? And we're going to stand up. And then it's going to take two more shots to knock us down, all right? And on the way up, we're going to take your other kneecap and we're going to get up, and then it's going to take three shots to get us down. And when we do, we're going to take another hunk out of you. Before before long, we're going to be the last one standing. We're going to be the last one standing. I mean, it's kind of what they've been. And I admire that because there's all this resolve. They don't have the flash of the Buffalo Bills. There's no Stephon Diggs-type player from offense. Granted, I don't think he's what he used to be in his heyday. I mean, they do have one of the uh, an all-pro wide receiver. 
they have an all pro in, in Amonra St. Brown, but he doesn't yeah, get the same he's a, recognition. He's one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. He, like, is, he is Trey, but he doesn't get the same recognition. He's not billed as a star the way a Justin Jefferson, an A.J. Brown, a Tyree Kill, yeah, a C.D. Lamb it's ever fair, has been. But he he it, like he did get the recognition this year. He's a Pro Bowl and a first team All Pro, so he did get the recognition this well, year. I mean, I'll dismiss the Pro Bowl because anybody can be a Pro Bowler. But, but just ask the backup uh, quarterback. No, no, but that's that's people who actually play in the Pro Bowl game. You the people picked right now are the actual Pro Bowlers. Like, yes, in two weeks when the Pro Bowl happens, which you can listen to right here on CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg. The, that's where it gets funky. Um, but the current iteration of the Pro Bowl list. Is yeah, like, and then they also have. I, I mean, the way Laporta played, he might be the best tight end in the NFL now. <laughs> He's on his way to that. I mean, George so, Kittle could have an argument. But I get your but, point that Detroit typically, like, I think a really good example of this is what happened with Matthew Stafford. Is he had to get, you know, traded to LA to get kind of his full spotlight of how good he was. I think that's a really good example of it. But you, I get your point. I'm just saying. Like, Amon Ra has gotten that recognition. But look at that. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson's the one guy that's a household name, probably even on this whole roster. He was the number two pick in the for, draft. For his, yeah, especially because uh, he is literally the embodiment of Michigan. Well, he is. He, he grew up there, grew up going to Lions games, went to the University of Michigan, drafted by his hometown team, the Lions. He'll get a big contract extension in another offseason. He's not yet eligible for one. He's just completed year two. But when he gets done with year three, he'll get a big contract extension. They can move him around. He's one of the best defensive linemen in the league. But, you know, that's the only guy. I mean, look at the game-winning interception yesterday. Or rather, remember when you listened to it on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app, and now it was detailed as well. 150 and counting, five-yard pickup, bucks to the line. Two receivers left, two wide right. Mayfield stands along the right hash in the shotgun. Gets the snap from the center, Hainsey. Throws over the middle, floats it high, and it's intercepted! Picked off by Derek Barnes! interception of his life sealing the deal for the Detroit Lions the Detroit Lions game winning interception it's an I mean with all due respect it's a no-name middle linebacker from Purdue that got the game winning interception once again embodying it as franchise is hey somebody step up make a play and do something positive and that that's what's really cool about this franchise I get it they're going to be the least desirable team to make the Super Bowl granted plenty of people will watch the Super Bowl but if you like a story, it's a heck of a story. And it goes back to a coaching staff that said, hey, you know, everybody's going to pitch in. We're going to do our part. We're going to be gritty. We're going to be tough. It's not always going to be flashy. And here we are. And in truth, that is a common thread of these teams. San Francisco will be physical. Everyone thinks of the passing game and the pizzazz of McCaffrey and Samuel and Kittle. But a lot of it's set off set up off the run game. Their secondary is not very good. It's the physicality of their defensive front and their linebackers when they are on, which sets up their defense. Baltimore. Everyone knows about Lamar Jackson, but they really are strong in the trenches and they have speed outside is what they've been very good at executing. Kansas City, yes, there's Mahomes, but this has been a defensive-heavy team for much of the season. And then, of course, we mentioned Detroit, which is what's so cool about this particular story, but it really goes back to the fact that when you have a coach that is transparent, accountable, and willing to still do what's best for the team, and yes, sometimes that means making hard decisions and pushing the right buttons— 
you can get a lot further than when you have that older school mentality of dodging it, never admitting when you're wrong, never doing that. Because in this day and age, player empowerment era, people can see through that a lot more. And it is so much harder to effectively pull that off. Speaking of pulling things off, we look back on this past weekend's games on the hardwood right now and teams that were able to pull off impressive victories. It's time for the Fast Five at Five-ish. Five fast-paced, quick-witted things you need to know right now. Number five. As you could have expected, Wake Forest coming off the loss to NC State when they blew that lead. They bounced back. They won by 25 against Louisville, and they were up by 15 at the break. It was never in doubt. Miami going on the road and losing at Syracuse. Don't look now, but... Miami's a team that's played their way out of the NCAA tournament. They lose on a last-second buzzer-beating three from Syracuse. Uh, An underrated team, but a team right now still with bad 20-plus point losses at Virginia and North Carolina already this year. They're a team that, you know, Syracuse, I don't think has helped their tournament case, but they certainly hurt Miami's in the process. Meanwhile, Virginia Tech, they get a nice, good victory. They're 11-7, but the win against NC State is another right now quad one caliber win to go on the road and get one of those. It's why the metrics love this team in Blacksburg, even though they are just 11-7, not worth burying yet. North Carolina, they win by 10 at Boston College. It wasn't pretty. It was kind of a game until the last three to four minutes. But look, this is what you're going to have to do in the ACC and and in a different way from the Clemson game. It's the type of game Carolina might have lost in prior years where it's tough. It doesn't work very well. Boston College, they're a physical team. There's no atmosphere at all. It's one of the most stale environments at Conti Forum, NBC. And in prior years, North Carolina would not have brought enough energy to get the victory. Clemson, a good road win at Florida State. They needed that after their recent losses. Virginia, a wonderful for them road victory at Georgia Tech. They fell down early by double digits, but then they rallied, actually had a four-point lead at half and led by double digits for much of the second half before a couple of late threes by Georgia Tech made it a little dicey. But Virginia, they scored a lot. They defended very well. Hello, this is the type of team you would want. And what a bad loss at home for Duke. 80-76 to to Pitt. It looked like the Duke Blue Devils came out flat in this game. And you kind of don't know what their identity is. And maybe they don't either. Even though they're 13-4. and And I get they'll be ranked higher than they probably should be because they're Duke. But Pitt went on the road and won that game and kind of bullied Duke around in that. And by the way, I love the Blake Henson photo afterwards where he's up there on the scorer's table giving it to the Cameron Crazies. And they're flipping him off, which is so comical. But good victory for Pitt. One that they definitely needed. Number four. Virginia Tech women's basketball. It was not the most thrilling victory for them. They won by 12 against Clemson. But keep this in mind. This was a win for Virginia Tech that came without Georgia Amore. She was out for that game. She's been dealing with the head injury. Mike, uh, not Mike Young. Kenny Brooks, Virginia Tech, was very, uh, very bland on the specifics of the injury. He was asked a couple of different times about it and really declined to give any real answers. For Virginia Tech, they just needed to find a way to win and snap out of it, and that's why you have a Liz Kitley step up the way that she did over 30 points, but she really kept the team together in spite of Amor not being on the floor, and sometimes it's not just the scoring, it's the extra leadership that they can provide. Uh, the other one from yesterday in women's basketball, good for the Virginia Lady Cavaliers. They went on the road and won at Florida State. First win of the ACC season for the Lady Cavaliers. Again, I think this is a very big stretch to say they'll be an NCAA tournament team, this year, they've got to, they're going to have to really get on a roll in a conference that's just not really built for that. But 
I like this for Virginia Tech, Virginia women's basketball. They needed to find a way to put something there, and that was what was really cool about that particular performance. Number three. One more on the Liberty Flames tomorrow in the fast lane, but they got a nice victory as well at home. It was a tough turnaround. It was a 48-hour turnaround. The type they're going to need to emulate if they want to make it to the NCAA tournament. Uh, And even, obviously, they're going to need to emulate when they get into Conference USA tournament time uh, a few months from now. Yes, both were at home. I thought the atmosphere was really good and lively for Liberty. And I thought they brought more energy from the jump than we had seen in quite a while. Took a while to get that energy going Thursday. There was never a doubt that Liberty would have the energy. They never trailed. They led by 20-plus for much of the game, but ultimately was a little closer, 16 at the end. But for Liberty, that's a good victory for that particular reason. Number two. Couple notes on Virginia Tech football. One, The Hokies roster notes. Outside linebacker Keontae Jenkins, he has one COVID year of eligibility left. He will use it. Offensive lineman Clayton Frady will not. He is finished with football. I get it for Frady because he wasn't a starter, but Virginia Tech, they need all the depth help they can get. Uh, The one saving grace is you just have to find a way to shed scholarships, and that gets Virginia Tech from 91 down to 90, and they only need to drop five more to get to the 85 limit. Uh, For Keontae Jenkins, back at outside linebacker, good enough to play, good enough value. That's where it is wise, I would say, for him to come back for Virginia Tech. Speaking of the Hokies, by the way. And number one on the Fast Five at five-ish. Mark your calendars for tomorrow. The Thursday and Friday matchups, of which I'm sure Virginia and Virginia Tech will be featured way too frequently, will be revealed from the will be revealed from the upcoming ACC football schedule. Then the full ACC football schedule will be dropped on Wednesday. They did drop the week zero Florida State at Georgia Tech, or against Georgia Tech from Dublin, Ireland and the week one schedule earlier today. Um, We're not going to get into everybody because this conference is way too bloated, but the matchups of note, Miami is going to lose against Florida despite coming into the year with tons of hype. We'll get ready for that one. And then Virginia and Virginia Tech. No real news for either of them. Everyone knew by looking at their schedule, but it's Richmond against Virginia. And then Virginia Tech, they are at, no longer at a neutral site venue, but they are traditionally at Vanderbilt at the Commodores Stadium on campus. Party in Nashville. For Virginia Tech, that'll be a lot of fun. Oh, will the will the stadium be done, or will they still have uh, scoreboard cranes as scoreboards? Uh, that's a really good question, Trey. I don't know enough about Vanderbilt football to know if that will be the case. I like what the ACC is doing, though, the creativity of unveiling their schedule in chunks. If nothing else, it gives people more of a chance to talk about a product that can what, use What, you don't the think they're going to get a two-hour show on ESPN? No, they're like not the getting... SEC? Yes, we know who the little uh, little brother is to the big brother in the eyes of ESPN. By the way, at some point we'll get to the feedback on who dictates who in terms of that relationship because we've had listeners disagreeing with my take that ESPN can tell the SEC what to do that somebody actually thinks the SEC can tell ESPN, who's paying them all of those... Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. ...what to actually do. And there is your Fast Five at five When we return in the Fast Lane, more on the Who's Hokies and Liberty Flames. We'll chat it up, part one of covering the Commonwealth next, here in the Fast Lane.